When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and welcome to the show. Well, 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 we'll be discussing Fulham's... 2-0 defeat to Crawley Town on Tuesday night. Um, I still haven't quite processed it. Hopefully this podcast will help. A meek, insipid performance at the side 91st in the Football League. Fair play to Crawley. They had to go out and win. But wow, there were some poor performances all over the pitch. In part two, we'll discuss happier times. Fulham's 3-2 victory over Brentford and generally our start of the season, not just with Jack and Peter, but also Fulham legend. And I use that word sparingly, Breda Hangland, who has agreed to come on, give his thoughts on Fulham's brilliant start to the season, Carabao Cup aside. So it'd be great to get his insight as an ex-pro. And at the end of the show, we'll look ahead to Saturday's trip to Arsenal. Hopefully it's a happier away day than it was yesterday. Uh, but for the first part, discussing Crawley, we thought we'd save Breda from that one. Uh, I've got the regular Thursday club of Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. How are we doing? <laughs> I think Jack might be better than me for the fact that he didn't have to go to Crawley last night. Um, but yeah, uh, recovering, Peter. Jack Collins, hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, boys. Um, yeah, I am I am better for not having been near Gatwick last night, I think. Um, it, it just, one of those that you're watching, like, oh God, this isn't going to plan. Um, so thankfully, yeah, was was spared it by by a recording schedule. But here we are, um, and we can we can we can work through it. I'm sure. Look, there are there are worse things. If you'd given me a win and a loss in the games this week, I would have taken them this way round. Yeah, I guess if that's the uh, if that's the <laughs> if that was the, if that was the choice, <laughs> and a gun to my head, I probably would have done the made the same decision, at Jack. Um, let's go through some three word reviews from last night, Jack. What were the best ones that came in? Yeah, we there were there were lots. Obviously, it's the um, the, the classic when Fulham lose. Um, we, we get loads of three word reviews. Uh, I liked uh, at CM Fire Tens. Kids still crawling. Um, TJ, TJ Fogarty with a very good, very, I like this a lot, Invert the Pyramid, um, which was excellent. Our own Cam Ramsey nosediving by Gatwick um, did make me laugh. And we had an interaction between Mark Hopping, who said, wake up, cool. Uh, and it, uh, I assume a relative, Robert Hopping, who went, wake up, cruel. It was right there. Ah. Um, so that, that was very good. Um, but the one that got the most love on Twitter was Fulham Mike's it's a kind of tragic, which is just absolutely exceptional, isn't it? So, so good. There was some love, though, a little a little bit of love um, for Kevin Betsy um, with uh, at Globe Corpse, heaven to Betsy, heavens to Betsy, Dan W, his name is, but his handle is at Globe X Corp. Um, heavens to Betsy, I thought was, was very good as well. Um, and I liked it because... You know, what, what we did there, we basically did the thing where Chelsea like lost to Frank Lampard to keep him in a job. Obviously, Kevin Bessie's had a tough old start to the season, uh, Crawley. 
Uh, you know, go on, have a, have a boon from your old club. The man that brought through Ryan Sessignon, no less. Um, a gift for our, for our old friend, Kevin Betts. All right. Well, thank you very much for those as ever. Not quite as cheery as they were on Sunday's podcast with George. Uh, thanks for that. I enjoyed that uh, podcast. Um, there's a few takes in that podcast that are on our defence that didn't age uh, particularly well. Uh, we'll come on to those. Um, Peter... We headed down to the People's Pension Stadium last night in in Crawley. Um, obviously, for myself, this was um, quite the occasion. I, I, I've lived in Horsham most of my life. Fulham have never played Crawley in a competitive match before. So the opportunity to head 10 minutes down from my parents' house was quite uh, an enjoyable one. Um, I spent a lot of time at the Crawley Stadium because uh, it was where my driving instructor used to take me to practice parking. So I've, I've spent a lot of time there without actually really going to a match. Um, but anyway, aside from my driving, uh, tales, um, it really was a car crash from start to finish. Hey, very good. Uh, very good. The performance was not very good. Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it up until kickoff. Um, it was nice being at a new ground. It wasn't too far away. It was a nice away day. Want to tick off the list. And then, um, and then the match started. I think Fulham were, were terrible. It was a very rotated squad. Uh, I think there were 11 under 21s in the squad overall. Um, there were three debuts, two of whom were for uh, Marlon Fossey and Luke Harris, which is really encouraging to see. Uh, and the other was for Issa Diop. Now, despite this, there were still seven senior players, and that, that doesn't include Tyrese Francois and, and Jay Stansfield, who have been around the first team for a little while and, and have a few appearances under their belts. And yet they really, really struggled with, against Kevin Betsy's League 2 Crawley side, a Crawley side, of course, who haven't won in the league yet this season. And as you said, Sammy, a second bottom of, of, of League Two. Um, you know, Crawley were very good. And I want to start with that because I thought they were excellent. You know, they had a game plan and they stuck to it. They set up in a 3-4-3. They went man for man, did not give Fulham a moment's peace. But Fulham were awful. Um, they were unable to keep the ball. There were sloppy passes, sloppy touches. It was a bit nervous which seems strange. It felt very disjointed and it was always going to be disjointed with a team like that. Obviously, there are some new faces altogether in there. You even had, you know, Marlon Fossey playing in what isn't his natural position at, on the right wing and you had Luke Harris playing on the left wing. And I don't really want to centre on the young ones too much because it, it didn't even feel like it was their real sort of issue, actually. It was, it was playing out from the back. You know, Fulham just couldn't progress the ball at all. They couldn't progress it through the fullbacks. They couldn't progress it through the middle. And of course, the... The back line looked vulnerable, um, but as much as it was to do with some poor displays at the back, it was also to do with the midfield. You know, they didn't have a grip of the game. They didn't retain the ball. Um, Crawley outworked them. They had a better attitude. And so I think Silver said that afterwards. Um, and they came here to win. And it just felt like Fulham turned up and expected Crawley to roll over. They didn't. And unfortunately for, for some of those in the team, because a lot of those, especially the senior ones, are in the team there to try and push the Premier League eleven to try and take their places. And, and that kind of performance isn't going to do that. Um, so fair play to Crawley. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. But, you know, it was, it wasn't like, it wasn't one of those games. It wasn't a cup game where, you know, the lower league team have dug in and they've got their goal and they're holding out. <laughs> Crawley dominated. They won 2-0 and they could have won by more. And that kind of reflects the story of the evening. Yeah. I mean, in lots of ways though, it was kind of a classic cup tie Peter where 
first 10 minutes, I saw Fulham passing the ball around. I thought that, well, this is just a matter of time before Fulham opened the scoring. We seem to have space. We just seem to get the run of them. And then Crawley just got their tails up. They got that goal. Um, and from then on, it was so difficult for Fulham to kind of stamp any authority on the game. And I know that Crawley pressed reasonably well, but some of the unforced errors were, were unforgivable. And, and from experienced players, you know, even players like Tom Kearney um, made an awful pass in the first half that, that nearly led to, to the second, to a second Crawley goal. It, it really was the senior pros on the pitch, nearly all of them dropping an absolute clang. I think maybe Mbappé was the best of the seniors. And, and that's not saying a lot though. Yeah, it can happen, can't it? Where you start badly and suddenly it infects everyone, and it's you know it just your, your confidence drops and your, your performance levels drop. But considering the standard of player out there, it was it was deeply surprising and quite well shocking, I suppose. <laughs> and, and as you said, it was those mistakes. It, the first goal comes from a mistake. It's, I think that was the pass that hits Chalaba's heels, um, and then. Suddenly, Crawley break really swiftly. I really liked um, Balagizi, uh, one of the wide forwards. Tom Nichols, their captain as well, thought he was really good. Um, Ashley Nadizan as well, through the middle. He's a former uh, Fulham season ticket holder, which is nice. Um, they, they caused loads of problems for the back four. Um, and in midfield, they worked so hard. You know, they, they worked 10 times harder, it felt like, just from observing it. And you don't, you don't want to be too critical um, but at the same time, it's it was a real low point of a performance. I thought I thought Mbappe did okay in those early stages, but again, I didn't. They just didn't progress the ball in, from um, on either fullback. Obviously, Joe Bryan was, was subbed at half time. Um, midfield just didn't have a grip of the game, as you said. I think Nat Chalaber and Tom Kearney did not have good performances at all. Um, and yeah, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was, it was incredible. I mean, Nathaniel Chalaber's performance, I wonder if there was something going on because it was from the stands and I don't say this lightly and I know that this gets thrown about sometimes, but I genuinely wasn't sure he was putting in a hundred percent. Like that was my feeling of it. You saw, even if you weren't there at the game, you'd have seen the highlights of that first goal. It hits his back heel. It's actually a bit of a poor pass from Kearney. Chalaber points his finger as to where he wants the pass. He wants it ahead of him. Kearney plays it behind him, but the speed of reaction from, from Chalaber not to like, no, I mean, he's not, wasn't pinged at him. He had time to turn his body and then the lack of effort to actually make up for his mistake. Um, was was something else. Um, there was also a moment in the second half where Godot had made an unbelievable jink down the left-hand side. He passed it into Nathaniel Chalaber, who was free with space in the box. And, and Chalaber didn't realise the ball was coming towards him. And he then makes a desperate attempt to control it and it goes out for a goal kick. It was... I mean, it was basic stuff from Chalaber. And, and all I'm hoping is that there was some mitigating reason for, for that performance yesterday. You know, I did the player ratings and I did a zero out of 10. And I don't do that lightly. I'm not here trying to like provoke a reaction. It was one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a, a, a Fulham player. So that's all I'm hoping is that there was, I don't know, he was carrying an injury or he wasn't in the right frame of mind for the game. And in which case that should be Marco Silva's job to not put him in because it, it I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh with Peter. You'll probably come at this from a slightly more like neutral angle. From, from the stands, I, I was I was 
genuinely dumbstruck by what I was seeing. I mean, your reaction is not a surprise. And as a supporter, you would feel that because it was, it was terrible. You're getting outplayed by a League Two team and a League Two team that hadn't been performing well. And I don't think Nat Chalaba was alone in that performance. Um, I think it does come back to some clear basics of who was invested more in this game than the other team. And Crawley wanted it far more than Fulham did. I, as I said at the start, it did look like Fulham turned up expecting an easy, an easy evening's work, a sense of, you know, I'm here to get the minutes in, in the tank and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll rock up and win. And it just didn't happen like that. Crawley did not let it happen like that. And um, Fulham then didn't rise to it. They didn't rise to the occasion. They didn't buy into the contest. They didn't tune into what was happening. They didn't uh, change the way they approached it. Now, of course, when progressing the ball, you know, they, Fulham couldn't go direct over the press. I think Jay Stanfield struggled a little bit with the centre-halves. And as I said, you know, Fossey and, and Harris on the left. Harris, you know, generally likes to play through the middle. You know, the, the, these these young kids who aren't used to that, but I'm not, even then, it's just the fact that those basics, as you pointed out, Sammy, in in midfield, at the back, um, just weren't there. And it just, Fulham never really got a foothold in the game. There were a couple of moments near the start where they, they were in the final third, but they didn't have a shot on target until the, night was it, 92nd minute, I think, was, was Stansfield's effort. And yeah. I'd gone home by that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, you probably, I think most people sort of went home after the, the Kearney corner that flew over the away end when he slipped. I mean, that was just, that just summed the game up entirely, really. Um, no, it was, it was, it was an awful evening, but I, I, I don't, I don't want it to be like critical too much of the younger kids because it was, yeah. it was a disjointed performance. But I thought, you mentioned Goddard, I thought he was really good when he came on. And it's a really great story. You know, he was at Margate less than a year ago came on and had an impact. Terry Blade came on at halftime, worked hard. And as I said, Fossey and Harris were in their natural positions. Um, so on that side of it, it was encouraging. Obviously, you know, Kevin Betsy is a former Fulham Academy coach and you can see that he's got something about him. There's a clear plan to what they want to do and if they struggled in the league. But uh, yeah, overall from the senior perspective, you know, you want you want your players to be pushing the, the, the Premier League 11. You want them to be knocking on the door and, yeah, it was not great. Um, Jack, should we put this into a bit of perspective as to the significance of this match? First of all, just before we, uh, I ask you a question, I would love to know if Fulham have had a bigger cup shock in their history. I'm pretty sure you would have to be trawling back a long way. 84 places between Fulham and Crawley. Uh, mm. in the Football League. We lost to Oldham a few years ago in the FA Cup, which I found was 59 places. Um, Oldham were in League Two at the time, but Fulham were second bottom of the Premier League. So I guess that mitigates that. I know that there were, back in the days, defeats to non-league Hayes, non-league Yeovil. That was when yeah. Fulham were further down the football pyramid. So the I don't Hay- know what the Hayes gap- one is always brought up, isn't it? The Hayes one is, is one of the worst days in Fulham history. I would... I haven't done the research, but I'd be very interested to know what the gap was in the football league because this must be up there. 84 places is a um, a huge, huge gap. And obviously that's slightly, um, you can't read too much into Fulham's position in the league right now, although it's a good start. Anyway, Jack, second round of the Carabao Cup, we're out. We're the only Premier League team currently to have been knocked out. And I see quite a lot of attitude of, like, oh, well, it's a Mickey Mouse Cup. It's not that important. I, when Fulham are in the Premier League and we get knocked out the Carabao Cup, I do get a bit 
annoyed. And everyone says, oh, the focus has got to be on survival. I don't see why getting to the Carabao Cup quarterfinals has any impact when we don't play midweek games. We're not in Europe and we only play, yeah, we only play mostly weekend matches, the occasional midweek. Why that should have any impact on our ability to stay up. I just, I, I don't know why Fulham fans or any general fans disregard this competition as completely unimportant. No, I think that's, I think it's ludicrous to, to dis, to kind of, well, to, to as if we're beneath it. No, as in to disregard a competition is nuts. Um, I, I do think there's an element of, at the moment, it does feel like, and, and this goes for lots of things, but maybe there's a little bit of disenfranchisement because, you know, when you get to this kind of competition, you'd be like, okay, we could get to the quarterfinals of it and, and whatever. And you know, I was watching last night and, you know, talking about watching this game where, you know, the replay of Bolton playing Middlesbrough in the Carling Cup final at the time. Um, and I was like, that's cool, isn't it? Like Bolton and Middlesbrough got to the, got to the Carling Cup final. That's, that's wicked. I think the thing with, with this tournament and is that, you know, it feels like you scrap through it and then, you know, and, and your likes of Liverpool and City will play second choice 11s until they get to the quarterfinals and then be like silverware and turn on to, to serious mode. And, you know, the fact that it's been won, you know, apart from last year, the five years before that by, by Manchester City, the fact that, you know, it is it, very hard to knock the top teams off their perch in these tournaments means that people are like, well, are we wasting our time trying to get there? Now, I don't necessarily buy into that because I, I don't buy into the fact that the title is all that matters, that, you know, these performances matter and, and all of these things. But I can see why people's get disenfranchised with competitions because there's there, there doesn't seem like a you know a, a way through and you know I was I was watching the once in a lifetime documentary by on copper uh, you know last week and it's about basically the fact that the same teams winning cups all the times not good for football right and but and I think that this is partly seeped into the consciousness of of football fans in the you know the lower half of the premier league who are like it's almost like I don't want to be seen to I don't want to be seen to, to kind of care because if I am seen to care, then it matters when we get knocked out in the quarterfinals, right? It matters when we, and, and I think that there's an element of self-protection in that um, because of what we've seen, this dominance, and this is European-wide, right? You know, the dominance in cup competitions by the big teams, I, I think is unhealthy. So, I mean, look, there's, that's, a, that's another debate for another day, but I think that that's got partly to do with this. In, in, a, in some senses, the reason I wanted a cup run, and I said this on the Anfield Wrap the other day, was because I wanted opportunities for the youngsters this year to, to get minutes, right? That, that, that was why I wanted Fulham to progress in the cup. It wasn't because I think that Fulham are going to win the cup. It wasn't because I think that a cup run has any real bearing, either positive or negative, on Fulham's attempt to stay in the Premier League. It's because I wanted to get the youngsters minutes. I wanted to see Luke Harris getting regular minutes. You know, I want to see Pajaziti getting regular minutes. And, and the cup offers an opportunity to do that in a season that's going to be truncated. And now we've lost that opportunity. And I think that's a shame because we've seen over the last couple of years, youngsters leave the club because they don't see a clear pathway. And I think this is one of those things that possibly is, you know, an, op an option and, and a place for youngsters to show their worth and show why they should be around the first team squad. And that's what I was most disappointed about last night, performance aside. The fact that we're not going to have that opportunity to give them another run out now, especially if every game is going to be a scrap in the Premier League. And it is. You know, yes, we've had a brilliant start. So have loads of other teams who I thought were going to struggle. You know, this is going to be a dogfight. And, and ultimately, when you do that, you're not chucking youngsters in without necessity. And I think that that makes it difficult, um, you know, for, for people to get minutes and see pathways. And that's why I wanted to stay in the Carabao Cup.
Um, Peter, um, two players that we haven't really come on to, senior players from last night, um, Diop and Duffy. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, a couple of opinions in Sunday's podcast um, haven't aged particularly well, particularly the one about um, does Diop uh, maybe get into the starting 11 for Arsenal? Um, it, he certainly didn't do his case uh, an awful lot of good um, last night. I think we can be pretty confident injuries aside that it's going to be Riemann Tosin against Arsenal after what we saw last night. I think Diop might have to wait um, a, a few weeks. He just looked bereft of confidence, didn't he? Yeah, that was the, the worrying thing was confidence. I and mean, I know he had a difficult game for West Ham at, at Kidderminster and you just kind of hope that a performance like that doesn't compound anything like that because he was not good. Um, I thought, you know, they, they were tidy at times. I think they weren't helped by the midfield also having a bad game. Um which doesn't help when you're trying to move the ball forward. When you don't have options, it can make you look bad. It makes you look exposed. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are a couple of instances, particularly, particularly in the second half with Diop. I think there was one where I think he got nutmegged by Balagizi, um right in front of us um, and then brought him down and got booked. And then there was another one where Nadizan just sort of skipped past him. It was, it was too easy. I think he tried to tackle with his right foot when he should have used his left. Um and I think there was another moment where I think Rodak was going to play out um, and Diop was demanding the ball off Rodak and then Rodak just went long. Um, but of course, it, it, just, it came back. Um, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't great. And it, it, you know, Duffy didn't have the best game either. I thought he had a bit more of a threat from, from set plays as the game went on. Um, but it felt very unfamiliar. It was untidy. He made a couple of good runs into midfield to force it. I think that incident you're talking about with, when Chalaba just seemed to switch off. Um, yeah, it came from Diop's inside. Run. It was that was made by by Diop with a really nice switch of play. Uh, so the only the only thing for me is he's just got to keep confidence up and uh, to break into that team. But as you say, I, it was not a performance that's going to be challenging uh, Tosin and, and Reem, considering how well that those two have started the season. Yeah. I mean, so much that you could get into last night. We probably could go through all the team, but I guess we just have to hopefully place it in the context that. It was a new team. It was a lot of youngsters. Um, it was a difficult environment. And, and hopefully we've made the point clear. Well done to Crawley. Um, although the injuries towards the, the, the injuries in inverted commas towards the end. I mean, I've seen some, <laughs> I mean, Fulham do it as well when we're winning, but my word, Crawley took it to new levels last night. You would. It's a giant killing. You would, of course you it would. Was, but I know that you would, but like sometimes last night I was like, we're not even being subtle here. Players literally just dropping like flies. It was like a war zone out there. Just every 10, 10 it was like Jack in a box, which one was going to fall next um, and, and have cramp. But look, well, done to Crawley good luck in the third round and I'm sure we'll uh, lick our wounds and if we can get a positive result against Arsenal all will be forgotten from Tuesday night very very quickly um, anyway we're going to take a break there afterwards we'll discuss Fulham's start to the season with Breda Hangland another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter and joined by the wonderful Breda Hangeland. Hello, welcome back to Fulhamish, sir. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Good to see you guys. Yeah, um, it's been a while since we spoke, Breda. We know we had you back on the pod uh, in about 2018, um, it was. So yeah, great to get you back on. And um, first of all, got to ask, how was it on Saturday receiving your Forever Fulham Award on the pitch? Um, yeah, great moment for me. Uh, it brings back a lot of good memories to walk on to that pitch. Uh, so uh, it was a good day. I uh, felt really welcomed by the club and uh, the reception was great. Most importantly, the team won. So um, it, was, uh, it was a fantastic uh, day overall. I had my dad and brother with me uh, and um, they enjoyed it almost as much as me. So uh, we had a fantastic day. Oh, well, in the sunshine, the Hammersmith then singing uh, the Hangerland uh, chants um, and yeah, getting three points in the last minute doesn't get much better than that as a day out. Well, first of all, Brenda, let's get your thoughts on the match. Um, it was a really topsy-turvy one, Fulham racing into a 2-0 lead, Brentford coming back um, pretty impressively in, in fairness and deserved certainly to, to bring themselves level and then Fulham winning it at the death with a couple of good late subs, which it threw it back in our favour. So yeah, I'd be fascinated to know what you thought of, of the match in general. Um, yeah, I thought it was, um, it, it was a good quality game, not fantastic quality in terms of the, f- the performances on the pitch, but it had a lot of nerve and drama and... Um, challenges and and speed uh and i have to say the way fulham were able to come back uh and win the game that showed uh for me uh impressive character and 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 team spirit so that was a really really good sign because when brentford went to 2-2 it looked like they were the stronger team and it looked like if one team was going to win it was going to be brentford um but Luckily, Fulham came back and, and uh, the big man uh, did what he does best at the back post. Uh, uh, when, when that cross came in uh, and you saw Mitrovic at the back post, I thought this is going to be a goal. Uh, and uh, we've seen it many times before and hopefully we'll see it many, many times again this season. Yeah, Jack, I mean, it was just such an incredible atmosphere, wasn't it, on on Saturday to win a game like that, local derby, 90th minute. I mean, it was just the stuff that dreams are made of, really, wasn't it? Yeah, also, we were owed one. We were owed one by that lot because we they've, they've done that to us so many times. Um, so it was it was about time we got a last minute winner at, at Brentford. I, I don't think we'll make a flag about it, so we can uh, they can, they can keep their flags. But um, it, it was a nice, you know, a, a nice element of you know, how, how a game ebbs and flows. And, you know, I was talking to, I was talking to Jay about this and we were, we were talking about the fact that I said, look, the first half was all Fulham. The second half was all Brentford. And he said, well, it's fine. It's easy for it to be all Brentford when they're behind, you know, because they have something to kind of go for. They have nothing to lose, whereas Fulham have everything to lose. And therefore the game state completely changes in terms of, of how you're looking at it and how they're approaching it. And I thought that was an interesting dynamic. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to, to ask, in terms of, you know, you did mention the, the substitutions there and the way that the, the game changes and, and hangs on those things. And, you know, the introduction of Tom Kearney, I thought was massive in terms of just slowing the game down and allowing Fulham to get a foot back on the ball when it looked like it was starting to get away from us. And I agree, you know, it went into those last minutes and I was going, get out of here at two all, get out of here, take the point and, and, and take the two all. And, and Marco Silva's substitutions did shift the balance and, and and the kind of power swing, I suppose, in the game towards Fulham again. I kind of wanted to ask, you know, as as an ex-pro, what 
what, how, how does that affect mentality on the pitch? You know, when you know you have players to bring on and, and who can shift things, is there a kind of renewed sense of, of confidence and optimism among those players on the pitch when the, when the manager brings on, especially in this case, you know, someone of the quality of Tom Kearney, Kevin and Babu comes on, obviously a big, big new signing who's able to kind of get forward a little bit further on that right-hand side. Does it give everyone a lift? Yeah, definitely. And I think in the Premier League, um, in order to be competitive, you you have to have those options uh, from the bench uh, like Fulham had on Saturday. Uh, so you need players of the same quality as the starting eleven ready to come on. Um, and, okay, mind you, I, I watched the game from the cottage balcony, so I didn't have the best view, but uh, it looked like there was a tactical tweak as well in the second half. First from Brentford, where they went... Uh, to a back three, um, so so kind of the Conte formation, and that looked to cause Fulham a lot of problems, I think. So then Marco Silva and his staff responded. Uh, when they did the changes, it looked to me like they, they went to a 4-5-1, 4-3-3, and, and controlled the game a lot better. So uh, this is kind of the in-game dynamic between the managers, and I thought uh, Marco Silva responded really well, and and the kind of balance of the game shifted along with those changes. So Brentford were clearly the best team for a period there. Uh, and then um, the change of shape and the substitutions for Marco Silva made a big difference and, and Fulham looked strong in the end and, and won the game. So, so uh, yeah, um, good players to come on, important. Also important to have a manager who can see uh, the picture tactically and, and respond. Uh, and they got their reward for it. Breda, obviously we saw at the end of the game that Alexander Mitrovic was the man of the moment again. He seems to have a knack for good timing um, for, for scoring goals like that. Um, I was wondering, you know, we, we've seen with him, we saw it against Trent Alexander-Arnold in the first game of the season. Um, and obviously he's, he's targeted the back post again. It's his, it's his trademark. As a centre-half, as part of a defence, when you're dealing with a, a forward like Mitrovic, is he someone you always want to try and get on to say to you or to, to your best central defender how, how do you deal with someone like Mitrovic when you especially at that level that's a good question Peter um, it's it's clever for Mitrovic what he does because um, all teams basically now will play a form of zonal defense especially when they defend their own box that means that the best headers of the ball will be in the middle uh, it was the same with Brentford on Saturday. So what Mitrovic does is he, he peels away to the back post, to the right-back area, and generally the right-back will not be as strong as the centre-back uh, in the air. And from a defending point of view, there's not really much you can do about that. You could obviously, as a centre-back, just leave your area and go and mark Mitrovic. But that, if you did that, that, that creates a gap that other people can run into. So... Uh, from a zonal defending point of view, there's not much you can do about that other than obviously try and win the challenge when it gets to the back post. Uh, but you can you, you could see it with Trent Alexander-Arnold and also the Brentford right back. When that cross comes in, um, there's a fear in them because they know what's coming from behind and they know that Mitrovic with his power and his um, jumping ability and his... Uh, um, general, he's so aggressive, so he's favourite to win that ball because he can he can kind of jump and and hang above them. So it's a clever tactic from Mitrovic uh, and Fulham. And if the cross is 
uh, of the quality that it was in the first game against Liverpool and also now against Brentford, it's near impossible to defend it uh, because the right-back has to look at the ball. He knows Mitrovic is coming. Um, all he can do really is try and jump into him and, and be really aggressive and hope that that's enough. But we've seen now two examples um, <laughs> where it's not enough. <laughs> Um, Breda, moving on to Fulham's defence and our kind of general performances. Um, there's been such a big debate in the Fulham fan base about who was going to start the season at centre half. And we went into the first game of the season um, with just two senior centre backs. Shane Duffy was brought in as a very, very late replacement just before that Liverpool game. And we've since brought in Issa Diop as well. And I think a lot of Fulham fans just thought there was absolutely no way that Tim Ream could be playing first team football back in the Premier League. We'd seen what happened uh, to Tim Ream when he played in the previous two Premier League campaigns. As a fellow centre-back, what have you made of Tim Ream? Because it's been so impressive the way that he stepped into the side this year, 34 years of age, going on 35 um, in, in October, looks as good as ever, is reading the game so well. He's been really well protected by his two defensive midfielders in Harrison Reed and, and Jao Polinia. What do you think is the difference from when you've seen Tim Reeb in the Premier League before and, and to now? Is it that cover or is it also Marco Silva installing something else in his game? Uh, well, good question. It's it's hard for me, obviously, to to be, be sure about these things. But um, let me begin by saying this. Any centre-back looks a lot better when he's well protected. Uh, going back to my days at Fulham, we played a similar shape. Uh, me and Aaron Hughes normally at the back, but two central midfielders making sure that there are not that many balls coming into feet. So you can be quite confident that whatever balls arrive will be um, high balls for a challenge or in behind, in which case you need to drop off or play them offside. Um, so, so that looks good now. I think. I think Palinia is a, cl- a quality player, really, really good player. He's one of those players that you really need in a team in the Premier League uh, to be solid because not only can he play, he also works hard. He covers the spaces and he wins his challenges. So, really, really strong um, signing, I think, uh, so far. Uh, but the question is about Tim Ream. You know, I think uh, players can improve. They can um, they can mature and they can get to a new level and hopefully uh, he's he's stepped up a little bit because uh, it looks that way so far in the season uh, and and I've always really liked him because he's calm on the ball he makes good decisions but you've always had this question about physicality and perhaps pace uh, but for now. I think he looks very good. I think uh, the defense on Saturday was was uh, fairly solid. I think it's been good for three games. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, I know now there are four centre backs at least of approximately the same level. So uh, it will be interesting to see who who ends up playing. But um, the two that played on on Saturday, I think, did well along with the rest of the team. You're probably the best person to ask about this, Breda, considering your partnership with Aaron Hughes. But obviously, Tim and Tosin have partnered each other for a while. And, and Tim, I think, has had a multitude of different defensive partners during his time at Fulham. I think it's over 15 or 16. When you have that stability next to someone, you get to learn their game. How much does that improve your own game? 
Oh, it's, I think it's essential. Um, I, I rarely see centre-backs playing really well unless they know their partner uh, because there's so many little details um, and so many things where you need communication but you don't have time for communication. So what you really need is to know what the other player is doing uh, in, in any given situation. And, and these little things, they improve only with time. Uh, you can talk before the game and you can make plans and whatever, but when the situation happens on the pitch, uh, the most useful thing you can have in a centre-back partnership is experience of doing it together um, in, in previous games and in training. So so it's a, there's a big, big uh, value in, in uh, getting to know each other. Uh, and and you know I think you can you can see that they've played together uh, because uh, they they move up at the right times they drop off at the right times they move across at the right times. Obviously, it's challenging in the Premier League, and there'll always be situations where where they look a little bit exposed. But overall, I thought it was good, um, and uh, and uh, yeah, long may that continue. In terms of, of how that looks, Brennan, I'm, I'm intrigued by this because there's a lot of talk these days about about differing centre-back kind of profiles, if you will. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people, you know, use the terms cats and dogs in, in many ways. Dogs being the aggressive centre-back who gets up and, and, and challenges that first ball and the cat being a more of a kind of sweeper type. Um, is there kind of that element as, as a player? Do you see that kind of... You know, you go, okay, I'm, I'm working with a, with a host of different centre-backs in, in training. There are four of us in the group, you know, all of, all of whom are obviously of, of required quality to play at this level. Are there centre-backs you naturally find that affinity with as partners because of contrasting style sets? Or is that something you build as a partnership over time? I think you can always build a partnership, but um, I think it helps if, if the two centre-backs are not too similar. So if you look at uh, Tosin and Tim Ream, they're not similar at all. Um, you, you could say <laughs> a little bit like Hanglin and Hughes back in the day. Um, but it's important to keep in mind that both centre-backs need to be able to do everything that the centre-back must do uh, to a certain standard. So you need to be able to win a header. You need to be able to win a challenge. You need to be able to pass the ball, stuff like that. Uh, but having said that, then I think it's... It's um, it's an advantage if they're not exactly the same in terms of uh, height, speed, ability on the ball, uh, leadership, because uh, then you can kind of fill the gaps because no no player is perfect, right? So you can fill each other's gaps a little bit. Um, so yeah, I I, uh, I think those two have the have the look uh, of of what could be a really good partnership. But I keep going back to this. It's so much about the team structure and uh, the level of protection in front of them because you can you can line up the two best defenders in the world uh, in in the Premier League games and and if there's no midfield protection if the fullbacks just disappear then it's impossible it's impossible so so uh, when when centre backs look good it's very often a little bit down to their individual performance but more down to the structure of the team. So, Breda, looking at Fulham's start uh, on a broader 
view away from Saturday's match, three games played, two draws, one win, unbeaten, which in our wildest dreams as Fulham fans, I don't think we actually expected to happen, especially that draw on the opening day against um, a brilliant Liverpool team. Simple question, can Fulham stay up? Certainly the evidence on the first three matches looks good, but there is an awful lot of football left to play. Yeah, for sure. Um, of course, they have a chance. Um, I think I never look at the league table before 10, 12 games in. Uh, but what is absolutely essential in this league is to uh, is to get a decent start uh, and, to, and to feel like you have a kind of a foothold in the league and that you are competitive against um, against all the teams. Uh, if you look at the teams who, who get relegated from the Premier League, they always have games where where it looks like it's impossible for them to win. So for now, Fulham have played one of the best teams in the league, Liverpool. They could have won it and they were definitely competitive. And, and the same against uh, Wolves and Brentford. So what you want is a team that can win any game uh, if everything clicks and, and a team that that doesn't roll over and, and concede four or five if things are not going too well. So if I'm judging it on three games, I know it's not a lot, but it, it looks like a Premier League team to me. Uh, and, and it's a good start. And everyone knows it's a long season and all the games are tough. Uh, but it's going to be tough to play Fulham as well, I think. Um, Well-organised, good skill. Uh, looks like everyone's working for the team. Mitrovic, class player. I think Palinja, class player as well. So um, if those two stay fit, I don't see any reason why Fulham couldn't stay up. Not at all. In terms of, you know, looking at this, and, and, and actually you mentioned it there, you know, being competitive is massive, obviously, in terms of every game. But there's a question of, you know, the last time Fulham were up, the first six games were lost. And it felt like Fulham were playing catch up. For the whole for the whole kind of term, really, and yes, there were moments where it looked like it might be on, and then it fell away a little bit again. But it was from the very outset playing that kind of trying to claw ourselves back into the race. Um, is there an element that do you feel that when you're on the pitch? Is it a kind of now the pressure is ramped up to to eleven almost by the fact that we're playing chase, you know, straight away if if things aren't set right at the beginning? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, I've. Um, I played many years for Fulham, and, and there was, even though we did well some seasons, it was there was always a time during a season when you felt when you you felt the threat of relegation, and what you don't want is to feel that after two, three, four, five games, you want to build some confidence, and you want to feel like you belong in the league and that you're competitive, um, and the pressure will come at some point, but you don't need it in the beginning. If if you've lost three games and you you have zero points, then it's the pressure is there straight away, and it's, and it's, uh, and it kind of weighs on you every day in training and whenever you pick up a newspaper, whenever you speak to someone. So uh, this start gives the team and and the staff a little bit of room to just work and and to carry on, uh, and 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 that's perhaps especially for a team that's come up from the championship, is the most important thing, I think. Brader, I know you, you follow the Premier League very closely. Um, what have you made of the general start for all teams? Because it feels like the teams that we expected to struggle have actually you know, got themselves off the mark and have done okay. 
it's not really clear at the moment. Of course, it's really early. And as you said, you don't want to check the table too soon. But um, it feels quite tight. It feels like there's quite a few teams around there. And obviously, the teams down there at the moment are not who you'd expect. So how, how do you see it at this point? Um, yeah, it's getting it's getting more competitive every year, I think. Um, I think there's an interesting trend uh, where if you go back a few years, there would be quite a lot of teams setting out to stay in the league by defending, uh, by, by being really solid, by playing deep and by not having the ball as much. Uh, I don't really see much of that now. I see a lot of teams trying to play, trying to be... Um, positive if you like trying to be front foot if you like and it seems that perhaps because the teams are so good in the final third now so managers uh, and clubs more and more decide that we cannot just sit deep and soak up pressure because eventually they'll score uh, just if just think about playing Manchester City I watched Newcastle play Manchester City the other day and and Newcastle just went for it because I think they they feel like if we just sit back, eventually they will score. So so I think that's a trend, and and the way Fulham play uh, fits really well in that trend. Because yes, they're trying to be solid, well organized, but they're not dropping uh, and just soaking up pressure. They know that they need to have the ball, they need to attack, and they need to cause the opposition some problems. Otherwise, you're just waiting to lose, basically. So um, that's been really interesting, but. Like like you say, Peter, the the overall quality of the teams is like you can look at every, at every team and every player, and you can think, "Wow, there's a good team, there's a good player." So there there are no easy games, um, but like I said, it's not going to be easy to play Fulham either. Not going to be easy for any team, team I think. So um, that's good. Yeah. Well, speaking of easy games, and we have Arsenal on Saturday, Breda, um, top of the league, uh, three wins um, from three, uh, a striker in Gabriel Jesus, who is absolutely on fire. Um, and after that, it's a really tough run for Fulham. We've got high flying Brighton, um, away to Spurs, home to Chelsea. These games against so-called big six opposition, um, you'll have face them many times and with varying results you've got some famous wins in your time you'll obviously had um, humbling defeats what's the mindset when you're approaching an Arsenal a Spurs a Chelsea where you know that the, the quality is there and particularly an Arsenal team that is in such form now what's the feeling in the camp because you can't be going into a game thinking oh we're going to get thumped but also I guess you have to be realistic about the the quality of opposition that you're about to face yeah, I think um, yeah you have to prepare as perfectly as you can, of course. But then mindset is key. Um, so it's about being, like I said, it's about being making sure that you're competitive in in every department, um, and then respecting that opposition of that class. Take Arsenal as an example; they 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 will exploit any mistake. So so you have to you have to make sure you do everything correct. And then you know that even though you play almost a perfect game, you might still lose. Um, that's just the nature of, of playing against these top teams. But you also know, uh, and this is especially true when you play the big six, if you like, that you will have some time to play uh, and there will be space uh, on, on, on the counter-attack at least 
and maybe even with the ball in in uh, long attacks. And there will be opportunities on set pieces and so on. Uh, so football is always a game of there's a balance, right? And the big teams they want to attack. They send lots of players forward. If you can live with that, then there's always always possibilities. So. It's it's like you said, Sammy. I've, I've lost, of of course, more than I've won against the big teams. But there's also some famous wins, and and they, there's a similar trait in all those wins. It's it's uh, a team not making silly mistakes, being a little bit brave, and and exploiting and and kind of using the opportunities that always are there against uh, against the big team. So. Yeah, you can look at any game in the Premier League and, and especially the games coming up now and you can say, that's difficult, that's difficult, that's difficult. But it's also possible. Um, you've seen that time and time again and you saw the game against Liverpool in, the, in match day one. So it's possible to, 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 to play these teams and win. No question. Um, and Breda, let's look specifically about Arsenal. Um, they seem like a side rejuvenated under Mikel Arteta. Hard to believe that 12 months ago they were in complete disarray, lost their opening three matches in a row. Um, how far they've come since. And, and some of the signings that they've made have been so sp- smart in particular um gabriel jesus who just looks like he's going to score every time he touches the ball um for for arsenal so what have you made of Mikel arteta um and and yeah be interested to know what you think their kind of strengths and and potentially weaknesses are that fulham can try and try and get at yeah they've uh impressed a lot um obviously know martin erdigo really well uh and he's the new captain uh and with the jesus and and really any player that they can put on the pitch in, in the attacking positions, they, they look really strong. I think from from a tactical point of view, if you're playing Arsenal, it looks to me like you need to, as much as possible, avoid um, being too deep uh, and for any player to have space in between the lines so uh, because they can pick a pass. It's almost... It's Manchester City-like uh, in many ways, I think, now with, with short passes and, and quick movement um, around the centre-backs and in behind the centre-backs. So, so from Fulham's point of view, defensively, need um, uh, not, not big distances in the team uh, and a feeling of being together all the time. Not get uh, You don't want the team to get disjointed and every player to play for himself. You need to feel like you have players around you all the time. Uh, but then I think, you know, with the ball, uh, Arsenal is one of the teams you can always play against them. You know, there's always space to play if you're if you're a little bit brave, and you manage to string two or three passes together, then the big spaces might open up and you can you can attack. So um, it's it's really important, looks to me, for Fulham against Arsenal to to find the correct balance between defending and attacking. Everyone has to defend, but then uh, when you get the ball, you have to have a little bit of you know oomph about you and and some bravery. Uh, to, to play because uh, they always allow you to play if uh, if you do it well. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I just wanted a word on, on William Saliba, if if you if you didn't mind, because I've been hugely impressed. Obviously, young player of the year in in France in Liga last season, and has been fobbed out on loan a couple of times, and and there were questions over whether he'd get a look in. He's walked into this club. I, I've rarely seen a player look so composed. 
you know, under pressure. He shepherds play players out of play beautifully. He just looks like he has every attribute to, to go right to the top and and do it whilst kind of not breaking a sweat. It is that kind of, uh, that strange, strange element of centre-backs who look like they're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not even that bothered by the fact that this striker is here. I'm, I'm just sort of going to shepherd him out of play and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, look, I haven't seen that much of him, to be honest, but um, looks uh, looks very good. Um, it's always, when you see a young player, um, especially in that position, when you see a young player so calm, it's all. It's always very impressive to me. So um, uh, one to watch for sure. Uh, but uh, these days, there's so many good players around, and they keep popping up from everywhere. So uh, it's it's hard to keep track. It's probably Peter is probably the best one to keep track of them. <laughs> <laughs> do my best. I do my best. Well, Breda, thank you so much for coming on today and just giving your thoughts. Um, it's so good to get an ex-pro's view on, on Fulham's start to the season. There's so many interesting questions, um, so many interesting questions yet to be answered uh, with 35 games of the Premier League um, yet to play, but an encouraging start. So um, yeah, thank you for coming on Fulhamish, giving us your thoughts and uh, hopefully we can see you at another point later in the season, perhaps. I hope so. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's always um, it's always a, a pleasure to take part in anything associated with Fulham. Uh, obviously, I can't be on the pitch anymore, so <laughs> we'll have to do it on uh, on different arenas. So uh, it was it was great, guys. Thank you very much. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast and it's Sammy back here with Peter and Jack. Thank you so much to Breda for popping on the Fulhamish podcast. I meant to say at the top, by the way, that it was very much designed for us to be more a chat about Fulham uh, right now with Breda as a pundit rather than uh, an interview with Breda about the good old days. We have done that um, back uh, yeah. a few years ago. So I will put Rewind a link. selector. Yeah, I'll put a link in the podcast description to that interview that we did with um, Breda because we went through all his time when he first arrived at Fulham, his Europa League times, obviously the Felix McGath years and the cheese story and, and his exit, which obviously pretty acrimonious. So if you want to listen more to a Breda Hangman talking about his time at Fulham. Um, that interview is still as relevant now as it was two or three years ago. So we'll put the link in the description. It was our first ever kind of like big interview on Fulhamish. I remember Jack, myself and Farrell being incredibly nervous um, meeting Breda for the first time. So um, yeah, feel free to have a listen if you kind of want to get Breda's take on all the glory is um, at, at Fulham. And obviously he touched a little bit on it during his interview on the pitch with Ivan on Saturday as well. Let's just um, do a quick recap um, of the transfer situation. Just over a week until the transfer window slams shut. Was it um, a week? Oh, yes. Sorry. Peter's oh, life rest. will be back. <laughs> It's actually on my birthday this year, deadline day, which is devastating. Oh, last, no. Last year was bad enough because, you know, obviously it like sort of rolled onto it. But this year, this year, no. Oh. All day, all day I'll be waiting for Fulham to announce something at one in the morning. Yeah, no, that is a write-off for your birthday. I mean, it's next week is a bit mental, isn't it? You've got a midweek match and transfer deadline day. Basically, no sleep for Peter Rutzler. Um, it's all gone a bit quiet on the Eastern Front, uh, Peter, transfers-wise. I'm a bit lost as to who Fulham are signing now. Um, Cliver, William, Mopay. Fill us in on what the latest is because I'm losing track a little bit. Maybe it's just um, transfer window fatigue. Yeah, I, I have no new developments from from what's already been 
uh, put out there. We've we've reported that uh, Fulham are in advance talks for Neil Mopay. Of course, he was looked like he was on his way to Forest, but um, Fulham have moved to 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 try and snatch him. Um, he's yeah, he'll be an alternative to to Mitrovic. I think that's been clear that Marcus Silva wants that um, a second sort of a striker option. And of course, it's it's the wide positions that feel most pressing. You know, William's been training at Fulham. Um, he's being assessed at Fulham. No new developments there about whether that's going to progress. Um, and Justin Clive, it's the other one. That's been a really protracted uh, set of negotiations, but um, that one's still potentially on the table. So I think the other position that Fulham are looking at is, is a central midfielder. Uh, I believe they're looking for sort of a number eight type um, to, to, to join what they currently have. So... Um, Yes. Sign Florian Grillich. He's out there on a free. Just sign him. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Who, who, Jack? Florian Grillich. He was uh, at to Berlin last year. He's our free agent. Um, just, he's excellent. He can play centre back, centre mid, defensive centre mid, box to box. He's just brilliant. He's an Austrian, Austrian international. Um, I've seen some links with um, Levin Kazawa um, mm. from PSG. Um, I read some rumours that he had agreed personal terms. Jack, do we know much uh, about him? It's a, it's, a, it's a new name for me. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I mean, good player. Was 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 kind left of back. PSG starting left back a couple of years ago. Um, has kind of dropped down the pecking order a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah, no doubt at all that because I was a, a good footballer. Um, he, he's, he has not played all that much or, or of late. Um, but yeah, um, was... You know, I think if I'm not mistaken, you know, a full French international. Um, he was at Monaco for some years, was was brilliant. PSG bought him back a long time ago, sort of seven, eight years old ago now, I think. Um, and his he was, yeah, the sort of starting left back for five, six years. Um, and then last year he didn't play, you know, he didn't play very much, mostly off the bench, and then hasn't played at all this season. He's, you know, uh, he must be about 28, 29 by now. But he, yeah, he's, he's, he's a very good footballer and um, brings some experience. There have been some bits and bobs w- with him and, and, and him not being happy about not playing and there being the occasional sort of flare ups with it. But I, I think that kind of comes as part of the process at a club like PSG because everyone seems to be having a fight with everyone else all the time. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, I'd be pretty pleased with this if this came off um, as an alternate left back option. He seems to, you know, have, have, have kind of fallen away at PSG. Nuno Mensch came in, obviously, from 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 Sporting last year and took that left-back spot as his own. Kazawa seems to be service to requirements. I think he'd be pretty smart. Pretty smart. Of course, that, that plays into what's going on with, with Joe Bryan. And it looks like, at least from what Silva's been saying, that, that he would be a player that they would move on by the sound of it. Um, he said last week before press conference to, to see what happens before the end of the month. Um, when when we asked about where Brian's been, because obviously he hasn't been in the Premier League squads, and he was subbed at half time, wasn't he last night against um, against Crawley? So I, I think that if that if that does have legs, then it would probably be tied into to what happens with with Brian and whether whether he he goes or not, because it feels like Anthony Robinson has, has definitely secured the uh, left back position with his really really strong start. So um, three or four signings is what Silver said he wanted to happen. Um, which should be interesting to see how Fulham do it because I know that they're, they're tight with FFP. Well, that's from the noises I've had generally around, not just within, but without the, the club as well. So, um, yes, should be an interesting period. 
I mean, do we feel now, Peter, that if if signings are going to get across the line, it's probably going to be pretty close now to deadline day? Um, because surely all clubs, all players are going to want to negotiate the best deal for themselves. It, it just feels now that we're in a bit of a calm before the storm and, and so much is going to change between now and next Thursday. Ah, it's difficult to say. I mean, there are the talks ongoing at the moment, so I wouldn't say everything's going to be pushed back to my birthday. Um, <laughs> We're doing but, it, uh, Cliver, just so we can use a just-in-time pun, aren't we? Ha! Yeah. <laughs> so bad. Terrible. <laughs> it's, what, um, it's what they'll do, though. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But yeah, let, let's. we'll see. I, I, I wouldn't expect everything to to go towards the end but you know it's we've talked about how it works and once you do get close to the deadline more dominoes move it's been interesting talking to people in the game about what's been going on in the market because if there is a sense there hasn't really been those sort of domino transfers where you know money moves from big club to slightly smaller club uh generally particularly in the market it's been big club between big club for the the bigger deals uh, and what that means is it's just there isn't that sort of knock-on effect where clubs goes after clubs. Obviously, we've seen a bit more of that in the last week or so, so maybe that will speed things up. Um, but, uh, yeah, whenever you get close to the deadline, players who aren't really involved at the start of the season, if they're going to get a move, it will be now. Um, new players become available. Players change their priority and expectations. Clubs change their priorities and expectations. So, uh, yeah, let's let's wait and see. Jack, if you're a betting man, what do you think the Fulham squad's going to look like um, by the time the Spurs game rolls around? Um, we've seen some reports today that, you know, the Clive transfer is stalled because Fulham and Roma are apart in, in negotiations and in some way apart. Um, that said, I've, you know, been doing quite a lot on Roma this summer and they're definitely a striker short and they can't get Belotti through the door, which is, you know, the man they want and who's been waiting for them as a free agent until they shift someone on. They lost Elder Shamaradov. He's gone off on loan. Um, and basically there's there's all these things waiting to fall. So I'll be very surprised if, you know, the rumours last week were that Clivert has turned down Nice. He wants to come to the Premier League. He wants to come to Fulham. He's turned down other clubs in order that he wants to, you know, join Marco Silva's project. Um, and so one, that's, that's encouraging. And two, I think Roma will have to come back to the table because otherwise they're going to be left short this season, um, especially competing on numerous fronts with Europa League football. So uh, I would be surprised if that one doesn't at least have another go. Um, nah, but I, I, I think that one will happen. Uh, and the William one's weird, isn't it? Because he's obviously just kicking about and they're just trying to see if he's actually capable of playing at this level anymore. Um, so uh, we'd trick along there. Um, and the more pay one, well, it seems like negotiations are well, ongoing, should we say, ongoing. Um, so, so we'll see how, how, that, how that turns out. I, I would suggest that Fulham will get three or four through the door between here and deadline day. Um, and I think we'll get three or four out the door as well. So um, I'd imagine the squad will be a similar, similar kind of number, but probably a, a slightly stronger core. And one transfer that has happened in the last week, Peter, Rodrigo Muniz has got his loan move to Middlesbrough. Um, I think this is best for all parties, isn't it? Hopefully uh, he can hit the ground running at Middlesbrough, who have had a terrible start to the season. You know, third favourites, I think, to to win the league and still winless, unless I'm completely mistaken. So, uh, yeah, big opportunity for Rodrigo. I'm hoping that as a main striker, which 
I, I think he will be, or certainly play the majority of games up at Middlesbrough, that he can thrive being being that main man because we saw glimpses last season that when he did get an opportunity from the start, not coming off the bench, he was a handful. Yeah, and I think from his development perspective, he needs to be playing games regularly because he didn't have that last season. If you have two consecutive seasons like that, it becomes a bit more of a challenge. And I think there was a sort of a realisation that Nunes has to play. And obviously Middlesbrough have waited a, quite a while to bring him in. You know, they rivaled Fulham for his signature last summer um, and have waited patiently to bring him in on loan this summer as well. Um, it was always sort of the sense that he would only go if Fulham brings someone in. So... Two and two means he should see a Fulham new face before too long. Um, but for for Mooners, it's a it's a good it's a good place to go. Of course, they've had a difficult start, but um, if he can get those games playing regularly, turn those glimpses into something consistent. I mean, he had a really good goals to to minutes ratio behind Mitrovic last year. Um, he's he's a, we've all seen what he's could be capable of, and I think a season in the Championship, building up that confidence. Um, it can only be a good, good, good thing, really. And I think, from a Fulham perspective, they probably looked at it and gone, "Well, he's not going to get the same minutes here, which isn't good for his development." But at the same time, we probably we need another striker that will probably offer something different. And I know we we talked about it talked about it last year in terms of when Fulham were chasing games at Muniz is quite similar to Mitrovic, if perhaps maybe a bit more, a bit more mobile. Um, so having a player that can offer a different alternative in the attack line is a uh, it would probably be a, a good thing for their survival hope. So, uh, yes, suits all parties. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. We'll see what happens um, in the coming week. Uh, fingers crossed we can get all of those signings in and out the door uh, across the line. But there's a lot of movement uh, between now and then. A lot of articles for you to write, Peter. Um, so uh, I think you can, uh, once your birthday's out of the way, you can maybe uh, sleep and have a rest. <laughs> yeah no 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 doubt about it it's, all, it's, all, it's what it's all about mate it's all good fun and follow all, all of Peter's articles on The Athletic if you want to stay uh, up to date uh, with all the transfer news in and out right we just need to name the podcast uh, Jack what would you like to go with from last night's three word reviews against Crawley it's the clear winner the clear winner from Fulham Mike um, who went with it's a kind of tragic feel <laughs> really bad it's just sensational, yeah, it's so isn't good, it? But it feels really bad. It's just absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> like, it's, uh, you know, obviously we mentioned it at the top, but it's just like it, everything else has got like three likes and this has like 225. <laughs> like, the people have spoken. So, the people have spoken on Twitter. Um, normally, obviously, yeah, it's just one of those. But yeah, I'm afraid it's going to have to be, isn't it? I will. I will allow this only if... When Issa Diop drops a good performance, and I'm sure he'll come good. I really want him to come good, mostly just to rub West Ham fans' noses in it because they were so smug and posting all those horrible videos when he arrived that when he does a good performance for us, we will call that podcast is a kind of magic, okay? No, it's what's going to happen is we're going to go to the BTEC Community Stadium, whatever it's called, in, in March, right? He's going to score the winner, and we're going to win 2-1, and we're going to call the pod Issa Beats Wissa, and that's going to be that. Fine, but we w- he will turn this round, Issa Diop, and he will get a, a positive pod name uh, in his honour. So I'm sorry, Issa, it wasn't a good debut. Things can only go up from here. Um, Things but yeah. can only get better. I mean, they really can. They really can. 
I mean, you can't get much worse than losing to Crawley Town, but uh, we'll we'll see. Maybe uh, we'll find a way. And if there was a football club that could, it always will be Fulham. Uh, right. Thank you very much to my guest today, Peter Rutzer. Thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. And Jack Collins, thank you. Thank you very much, Sammy. I am off the pod for three pods in a row. Um, I'm going on my holidays. You're going on your honeymoon. Yeah, I'm going on a honeymoon. Three years after you got married. <laughs> I got married in 2019 and 2022 is the year that I finally managed to get on my honeymoon. Thank you very much, COVID. Um, so yeah, I'm off to Greece for a week. Um, Jack's stepping in. George, George is stepping in for a, another one. So I'm off for a few, but uh, yeah, hopefully uh, Jack uh, will find a time to uh, leave Carnival uh, to record a podcast on Sunday. We're doing, yeah, we're doing the pod live from Sean Paul's staging. <laughs> Um, on Sunday, all the reaction to the Arsenal game at the weekend. So if you go and have a good time, if not, have a lovely rest of your week. I'll see you in a few. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.